much. Amazing. Give someone a high five next to you. Grab a seat. Welcome to church this morning. How are we doing? You doing good? Good stuff. Spot the Englishman in his uh, short sleeve shirt. You all got your coats on in the middle of winter. This is like summer to me. Uh, so I'm loving life. Um, I am from Manchester, as Sam says. Uh, support the greatest football team on the planet, Manchester United. Okay, all right. Thanks, buddy. Lost about half the room there, but uh, we'll hopefully we'll pick it up from there. <laughs> um, and as Sam said, went to start a church in Manchester. Um, and uh, we've got a couple of pictures, I think, if we can chuck that up. Here's, uh, here's the church when it started. Uh, that's a disco ball, a big giant mirror disco ball at the top. We kind of basically met in a club, um, kind of uh, bar. And uh, we kind of got sick, though, of them, um, us going in and having to clean up other people's sick and only having, like, one toilet to use for all of our church. So uh, we're moving venues in a few weeks, so I'm pumped about that. Uh, moving to a bigger venue, ready to house all that God is doing. And, uh, yeah, this is my family as well. I think we've got some pictures of the family. Uh, there's my beach babes. Um, and then, then there's my beach bum. That's Josh. He's age six. And uh, if you notice, we are the only ones on Coolangatta Beach. Spot the Englishman. Um, so while you guys are freezing inside, we're out on the beach thinking that, like this is the most amazing weather ever. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for having us this morning. So, uh, so glad, so honored to be here. How many of you love Pastor Sam and Carolina? Come on, you can give up more than that for them. What an amazing couple they are. And uh, I said in the first service, you know, they've been such an encouragement to my life and uh, such lovely people. And, uh, you know, you, you have to say this as a visiting preacher, but I actually mean it. And, uh, you know, saying that Pastor Carolina, you know, she's gentle, she's encouraging, uh, she's wise. Pastor Sam, he's encouraging and wise. Not so much of the gentle, but, um, but I need a bit of that in my life. And so I'm thankful for both of them. So amazing. Carolina yesterday preaching in the Catholic Church. That is so good. So, so proud to be friends with these guys and friends with this church. What an amazing job you guys are doing in this area of Brisbane. So excited to be here this morning. I've got a word for you that I believe is going to help you. Um, you know, I always try and say to myself, I'm less concerned with how well I preach on Sunday, more concerned with how well we live on Monday. And uh, so I'm hoping this is going to help you. It's going to inspire you. And there's going to be some people that are going to make some positive decisions moving out of this today to live their best life for Jesus. Anybody up for that this morning? Good stuff. All right, well, we're going to dive into the Word of God. Uh, you know, I really believe that the Word of God can change your life. Um, I wasn't a Christian when I grew up. I was 16 years old when I made a decision to follow Jesus. I'd never been in church ever in my life. Um, but when I decided to follow Jesus, someone bought me a Bible, and I've been a voracious reader of the Bible ever since, and it has changed my life. Honestly, it's God-breathed. It's inerrant. It's, it's, we believe it to be uh, the very Word of God. And so I'm hoping this morning that it's going to speak to you too. Just as Pastor Sam said, be ready to receive. Um, you know, I've only got human words. But what God can do to the Word of God, uh, He can bring it to life into your spirit and make something fresh and alive in you. And I'm praying that's going to happen this morning. Uh, we're going to start in the book of Genesis and then we're going to look at the book of Mark, Old Testament and New Testament. Um, we're going to open in the book of Genesis chapter 3 in a moment. Let me give you a bit of context before we go there. This is a moment in time where God has created the universe. He's formed the heavens and the earth. He created man because uh, the whole idea of this whole thing for God was relationship. Let us never forget that this whole, the whole purpose of this whole universe is relationship with God. And he created man and he said, that's not enough. How many guys are thankful for that? He said, let's create woman too. Uh, she got her name because when Adam looked at her, he said, whoa, man. Oh, sorry. That's such a bad joke. 
Yeah, 20 years ago, maybe. Uh, and, uh, and so he created man and woman, and, and he created for them a place to live, which he named Eden. Eden meaning paradise or pleasure. An amazing place to live for Adam and Eve. And in order to give Adam and Eve free will, what he did was he, he created this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, you can do anything you want, except eat from that one tree. Uh, again, saying in the first service, man, when I became a parent, uh, there's some things that I said to my wife that we just would not do. Uh, you know, we certainly wouldn't let uh, my, uh, my son support any other football team than Manchester United because he's a winner, right? We don't want to support loser football teams like Liverpool or anybody like that. Um, all right, we're getting real personal now. Um, move away from football, Ben. Move away from football. Or what do you call it? Soccer. Um, you know, move away. And uh, there's a few things I'm not going to do as a parent. And, uh, and one of them is I'm not going to let... Um, I'm not going to say to our kids, you can do anything you want in life except this one thing. You know, you can listen to any band you want except One Direction because they suck. You know, I'm not going to do that because I know the very thing they're going to want to do is that thing. Uh, me and my son yesterday, we were chilling in the spa at our, our hotel and uh, no one else was there because it's the middle of winter for you guys. So we're just loving life. And, uh, you know, our, our, the, the bubbles went out on the spa. So, you know, when you've got a six-year-old son, what does he become? Your slave. So I said to him, right, boy, go and press the button on the, for the spa to get the bubbles going again. And what does he do? He gets out, walks up, real loud, you know, he just goes and smashes the button. But only did I realize once it started, started beeping and the alarm going off, he pressed the big red emergency alarm button. <laughs> And all of a sudden, I'm like freaking out. Like, well, oh, I didn't realize there was two buttons there. And he didn't press the one saying spy. He just pressed a big red button. Because, you know, you, you always want to do what you're not supposed to do in those situations. You know, if there's a big red button, you want to push it, right? And it was like this for Adam and Eve. There was a big red button. There was a big thing that God said, you, you can do anything you want, but not this. And, and sometimes I think, God, what were you doing? You know, like, have you not been to Parenting 101? You know, do I need to teach you some things about parenting? Because obviously, I'm such a good parent. And then I get a slap in the face from God, of course, when my children play up. Uh, but, you know, I'm thinking, God, surely you wouldn't do that, you know, because that's the one thing they're going to want to do. But what I've discovered about God is that he trusts us a whole lot more than we trust ourselves sometimes. He believes in you. He believes that when your challenges come your way, you're going to overcome and you are going to conquer them. And he gives Adam and Eve this opportunity. And we'll see what happens right now in Genesis chapter 3 up on the screens. The Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? This is after Adam and Eve unfortunately fall uh, and they sin and they eat from the tree. Verse 10, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked, Adam? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Fast forward 2,000 years and we see this uh, passage of scripture in the New Testament in the book of Mark that has uh, some incredible parallels that we're going to study together today. And I'm going to really be, uh, I'm really believing that God is going to speak to you through this and show you some incredible truths as we look at the book of Mark. Mark. Coming up here, chapter 14, verse 32 to 36, Jesus finds himself in a garden as well, a garden named Gethsemane. Verse 32, then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here whilst I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. 
Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. Jesus knew what was about to happen, that he was about to be crucified. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible. How many of you know those four words can change your life? All things are possible. Not some things, not things only when you've got enough faith. All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Take this journey away from me. This, this, this crucifixion, please. If there's any other way, nevertheless, not I will, but what you will. Some of the most liberating and freeing words we can say, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. I want to share a message with you this morning in these brief moments we have entitled this, A Tale of Two Gardens. A Tale of Two Gardens. Amazing, really, we see in the beginning of time in Genesis, we see one garden, and then 2,000 years, uh, sorry, thousands of years later, we see, uh, we see this garden in the New Testament, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So many parallels between them two. Let me start by asking you a question. Anybody here ever had deja vu? Uh, it's, a, it's a crazy thing, right? You know, uh, still people are unable to explain it. What is going on when that happens? It's just the most surreal thing. Uh, last week, I, I had a couple of weeks ago, I had deja vu because I don't know if you noticed it, but there's this thing going on called the World Cup, um, and, uh, and and England were playing. And uh, we were playing a team called Colombia in the second round. And uh, we, England, up to this point, had never, ever won a penalty shootout in the World Cup. Uh, and then we got to the second round and we were all excited as English fans. It's coming home. It's coming. And we thought football was coming home. Come on. There you go. Yeah, buddy. Um, some, at, least, at least one person said it. Um, and, uh, and so I was, I was excited, nervous, everything at the same time. I was watching it with some friends um, and uh, we were watching it in a pub. Don't judge me, it was just for the atmosphere. And, uh, and we were watching, and it was so nerve-wracking. And I felt like, man, this is deja vu. I've seen us, I've grown up with England going out of tournaments on penalties. Such disappointment, such hurt. That song, It's Coming Home, the main line is, you know, it's 30 years of hurt. It's about 60 years of hurt now, but... And it was so, uh, but then we won the penalty shootout. There was so much elation and joy, only to then a couple of games later have deja vu again as we were knocked out of the World Cup. And I'm still hurting. If you could pray for me, I'm, my soul is still troubled by that. Um, but, but that thing of deja vu, you can imagine in this moment, right, that, that Jesus is having an experience like deja vu. Like, hold on, we've been here before. Because what we understand about the, from the Bible is that Jesus has been around for all of time. Uh, we understand from Genesis that God said, let us create man in our image. He didn't say, let me create man in my image, but there was a, a community, the, the, the Trinity, we understand it to be called God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus was there from the beginning of time. Actually, if you read the Old Testament, you begin to realize that the Old Testament is all about Jesus. We see Jesus right the way through the Old Testament as Moses led his people out of slavery from, from underneath the rock of slavery. We understand that in the New Testament, Jesus truly leads his people out from underneath the rock of slavery. Uh, when we see Joshua declare uh, to the Israelites, in three days we're going into the promised land. And then three days later, they cross through the Jordan River, which is the river where Jesus was baptized later on. And it took them three days to go from death to life, only to to see Jesus later on take three days to go from death to resurrection life. Uh, when we see Jonah in the belly of the whale for three days, he's in the pit of darkness, just like Jesus was in the pit of darkness in a tomb for three days only to come alive again. We see Jesus right the way through the Old Testament. And we can see in this moment, Jesus uh, was in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. And there are so many parallels between these two gardens. You can imagine that Jesus in this moment is thinking, hold on, we've been here before. 
when Jesus faced a test in the garden, you can imagine him thinking, we've been here before because Adam faced a test in the garden. When Jesus, was chose, uh, when Jesus chose to obey God regarding the tree, and Deuteronomy calls the cross a tree, uh, likens it to a tree, you can imagine him thinking, we've been here before because Jesus would have remembered that Adam disobeyed God regarding the tree. Uh, in his final moments when he was arrested in preparation to be crucified, one of Jesus' disciples, Mark, he fled the garden naked and ashamed, the Bible says. It's incredible. Mark actually writes that about himself. You know how you know that the Bible is true? Uh, because you, the people that write it actually don't paint themselves to be amazing. They show all their weaknesses, all their flaws, and uh, you know they've given their lives for it. An incredible truth. And Mark flees the Garden of Gethsemane, naked and ashamed when Jesus is arrested. And in the same way, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve fled ashamed and naked. There are so many parallels between these two gardens that Jesus would have known in that moment there's something significant about this. And we're talking about two gardens today, but let me, let's not get this wrong. This is not a 30-minute horticultural lesson. Uh, my garden at home in the United Kingdom, we've just had eight weeks of sun, which is just like unprecedented. And so you guys have like grass that is just just made of steel. We have grass that is just like so lightweight. So my garden is yellow right now because we've had eight weeks of sun. I know it's incredible. And, uh, you know, but this is not just a, a lesson about gardening. This is a, a study into scripture, realizing that Jesus is all the way through scripture and where some have failed, Jesus succeeded. So uh, we can know that we don't have the spirit of Adam living inside of us, but we have the spirit of Jesus living inside of us. Come on, let's look at it a bit more. These two gardens, these two gardens represent two worlds. That they seem so separate at times, but they are so similar and significant in so many ways. In Eden, we see the birth of the world when God speaks. In Gethsemane, we see the birth of a new world when God speaks again, saying, not my will be done. In Eden, we see the pioneer of our species. In Gethsemane, we see the pioneer of a new way of living. In Eden, we see uh, the, the words, obey me regarding the tree and you will live. In Gethsemane, we see obey me regarding the tree or the cross and Jesus, you will die, but a whole generation that follows you will live. In Eden, we see, see, we see temptation succumb to. In Gethsemane, we see temptation conquered. Uh, you could say Eden represents natural living, whereas Gethsemane represents supernatural living. Uh, we live in one by default, but we were designed for another. So often we seek after everything that is in Eden, yet get left feeling empty until we discover what it is to live in Gethsemane. Today, I think we all have a clear choice, and I want to present to you, members of the jury, the facts of the case to encourage you to make a decision today. Just like Joshua, in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, he said to his people, he said, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And I want to present to you a similar kind of proposition this morning and say, choose this day in which garden you will live. When you leave this church building today, you have the opportunity to live in the mindset and the lifestyle of one of these two gardens, and I pray you make the right choice. In order to help you with this choice today, members of the jury, uh, let me present to you some facts, some, some truths about these two gardens and what they represent in our lives, in, in our journey. Is this making sense so far? Choose your garden. Uh, the first thing about the gardens is this. Number one, Eden is a garden of disappointment. But Gethsemane is a garden of discipline. Eden is a garden of disappointment. Gethsemane is a garden of discipline. 
Uh, I remember when I was a young leader, I just um, became a Christian when I was 16. I was uh, made youth pastor when I was 17. I don't know what my pastor was thinking, but I don't know. He saw something, I guess. And, um, and so we, were, we had a leader's night and, and Pastor Ashley Schmira, who's the international leader of the movement of churches that we belong to that Pastor Sam was referring to uh, earlier, and he came to the leaders' night and he began to pray for people. People came down the front and he was praying for people, going along the line. And he got to me and I'm like, something good, come on, something good, you know, change the world, nation changer, something like that. And he gets to me and he starts praying for me and he's beginning to pray. And then all of a sudden he says, well, you know, I just see so much pain for your life. And of course, I'm like, you know, not, not exactly what I meant, God, but, you know, uh, maybe there's some more in there. Keep it going, you know. And he just continues to pray. I just I see so much pain for your life. I just, oh, God, give him strength for the pain that he's going to experience. And I'm just like so encouraged right now. And, uh, and then he finishes his prayer up and I'm kind of, you know, weeping with fear. And he moves to the next person and, uh, and he's halfway through sort of praying for them. I kid you not. This is exactly how it happened. He stopped and he, he stopped praying for that person, came back to me and he said, I just can't concentrate on praying for them because I'm just thinking of the pain you're going to go through. And of course, I'm just like, yes, Lord, I'm so encouraged right now. I'm going to fly home on such encouraging words. And uh, I promise you, you know, for a good few years after that, often I would think about that night and consider what was this pain that I was going to have to go through. You know, was I going to lose all my family? Was I going to be like Job that I was going to get such big uh, boils that there's so much pus in them I had to scrape it out? I don't know. Hey, come on, that's biblical. Give me a break. you know, what's going what's gonna to go on in my life that I'm going to, you know, I'm Manchester United going to get relegated. And I thought, don't be stupid. Like, you know, even that, that that's no way ever going to happen. And, uh, you know, and all these things, I'm thinking of what's going to go on, what's going to go on until one day I'm, I'm scrolling through my Twitter feed looking for inspiration. And I see this quote that's uh, a coach, in Amer- an American basketball coach by the name of Nick Saban. And he said this, that in our lives, we can either have the pain of discipline or the pain of disappointment. It's your choice. You can either have the pain of discipline or the pain of disappointment, and it's your choice. If you don't choose the pain of discipline, by default, you get the pain of disappointment. And in that moment, I realized the pain that he prophesied over me, the pain that he uh, made me scared with, uh, you know, the, the thing that he was praying about was that I would have the strength to endure the discipline that God had called me to so that my life could make a difference. And today, you and I have the choice. Do we live in this garden of discipline, this garden that says no to the temptations of the world so that I can become all that God has called me to be, that says no to disappointment and says yes to discipline? Will we make the choice to live in that garden today? Eden was a place of paradise. The actual word Eden, it means pleasure. I've been to Israel. It's an amazing place. It's got amazing hummus. You should go. And I went to Jerusalem and then we went to Gethsemane. It was my number one place I wanted to go because I've read these scriptures and it's been so powerful to me. And I went to Gethsemane and I went down to the foot of the valley, right in the foot of the valley. And it's the Garden of Gethsemane. You see, often we want Eden. We want pleasure. We want to be at the top of life. We want the mountaintop moments when God has called us to Gethsemane, which is at the bottom of a valley. You go to any mountain in the world, you'll find that nothing grows at the top of a mountain. Things only ever grow at the bottom and the sides of a mountain. And so often in life, we want the mountaintop moments because it makes us feel better, not realizing that it's the valley moments that actually make us become better. Uh, We're looking for easier lives. God's looking for stronger children. God wants to use you to make a difference on this planet. And if you're going to do that, sometimes there's going to be a journey of discipline to endure. Pleasure without discipline will always produce disappointment. You see, it's not wrong for us to have pleasure in our lives. It's not wrong for us to enjoy lives, have things that bring us pleasure. But when we have only pleasure without any discipline in our lives, then we face disappointment. 
And I just believe that God is calling each and every one of us today to make a decision that I'm not going to live in the garden of disappointment. I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to do what it takes to become the person that God has called me to become. In his disobedience with regards to the tree, Adam instigated the fall of man. But with his obedience with regards to the tree in the garden, Jesus instigated the redemption of the man. How good it is to know this morning that we don't have the spirit of Adam living inside of us, but we have the spirit of Jesus living inside of us. That when we feel tempted to disobey God and walk away from all that he has for us, we can draw on the strength and the grace of Jesus to obey his word and do great things for him. You know, in the book of Joshua, um, the, the Bible, the, God speaks to Joshua and, and says, be very strong um, and courageous to obey my word. Just before that, he says, be strong and obey, uh, courageous to lead my people. Um, I, I've, been, I've got so much affinity to the book of Joshua. I named my son after him because for me, it's you know, a word from God over my life, his, uh, you know, his life, the life story of Joshua, because I wanted to be someone that, like Joshua, takes the people that have been walking around in the wilderness, uh, people in the United Kingdom, that have been, for, for de- generation after generation, have just been walking around, not really knowing what this thing called life with Jesus is and I want to take them into the promised land I want to be someone that God uses to lead people into the promised land it's been such a significant word for my life and I remember reading about how God says to Joshua be be strong and courageous to lead your people I don't know about you but for me sometimes I need a lot of strength to lead people planting the church is the hardest thing I've ever done and I need strength and I need courage but yet God says to Joshua be very strong and courageous to obey my word he doesn't say be strong and courageous. He says very courageous. That word very, the Hebrew word is mechod. I think I'm saying that right. There's any Hebrew people here, don't correct me, please. Just pretend I'm, if I say it quick enough, uh, you'll assume I'm saying it right. <laughs> mechod. And, and it's that word, that same word, is that when God creates the universe, uh, day one, two, three, four, five, creates everything of the universe, but day six, he creates man and woman. Every other day, he says it's good. When he creates man and woman, the pinnacle of his creation, he now says it's very good. It's mechod. And he says the same thing to Joshua, like this is the pinnacle of what we need to do. Uh, You know, to lead people is great. To stand on a platform is great. To do things in front of people is great. But the most courageous thing you can do is obey my word. God says to Joshua, obey my word. And I wonder today, if there's a, a still small voice speaking to you that you've been pushing away and pushing away, maybe today's the day that you're going to respond. The second thing, uh, the differences between the gardens is this. Eden was a garden of choice. Gethsemane was a garden of change. Eden was a garden of choice. Gethsemane was a garden of change. Well, we're going to go a little bit deep into the Bible here for a few moments. Let me try and stick with me. Um, I, I, this is a truth that so helped me uh, growing up as a young guy. When I was 16, I became a Christian, and I was trying to deal with all the things that a 16-year-old deals with when they become a Christian. And I remember my pastor preaching a message about how we have a Savior who is relevant to us. How many of you are encouraged to know that Jesus understands our problems? He, he lived this life just like we do. And in Hebrews, it talks about how, uh, yeah, our Savior has been tested and tried in every way like we are. I used to struggle with that word because as a 16-year-old in the 21st century, I struggled with some things that probably Jesus didn't struggle with due to technology and due to the way relationships interact. And some just It's a different world, right? We live in a different world to 2,000 years ago. And I used to struggle, well, how does Jesus, you know, how really is that scripture true? Until my pastor taught me the truths of how Jesus overcame sin and temptation. We see in 1 John, the book of the letter 1 John, the Bible says that everything of this world it is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Stick with me here because we're going somewhere, right? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Eve in the Garden of Eden 
She gets tempted by the tree. Uh, in other words, the, the, the lust of the eyes, it looks good, right? Something looks good. I, I like the look of that. Uh, the lust of the flesh, in other words, it, it's going to taste good. It's going yeah, to be nice. It's going to feel good. Pride, it's going to feel good to my soul. I'm going to be encouraged by it. I'm going to feel bigger and better because of it. it. It looks good. It tastes good. And it feels good. These are the very things that Adam and Eve were tempted and tried in in the Garden of Eden. It looks good. The, the fruit, man, the tree, it looks so delicious. It's so much more juicy than every other tree. You know, because I can't have it. It looks better. Uh, you know, it's so good. Look, it's going to taste, man. That is going to taste so much better than the apples on that tree. Oh, man, just because just I can't have it, it's going to taste so much better. And it's going to feel good, man. When I finally get that thing that I can't have, anybody ever been there? It's going to feel so good. Uh, and we see Jesus, uh, just as Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they fail in that area. Jesus, in his life, he overcomes in that area. Because when the devil comes to tempt him with the same stuff like he always does in these three areas, he says to Jesus, you know, why don't you look out across all this land? I'll give it to you. Jesus says, no. Uh, why don't you turn this stone into bread? He'd been fasting for 40 days. Don't know about you, but I get hungry after 40 minutes. Jesus, after 40 days, had the temptation to turn stone into bread, and he said no. Uh, and then Jesus had the, uh, was tempted to throw himself off a cliff in order to be caught by the angels. Uh, again, something that would feel good. So Jesus was tempted to do something that tastes good, do something that looks good, do something that feels good. And in all these ways, Jesus overcame where Eve didn't overcome and now we understand that we can overcome anything that comes our way because Jesus righted the wrongs that Adam and Eve created. Does that make sense? I know it's a little bit deep and kind of woven through there and I should probably have some like pie charts and stuff, I don't know. Uh, but, but the truth of the, of the matter is that Jesus overcame where we fail and we know that because we have the spirit of Jesus living inside of us, we too can overcome. Does this make sense? C.S. Lewis, he said this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Come on, somebody. That's a good word, isn't it? I was 16. Again, I keep mentioning it. I don't know. Maybe I'm... I didn't plan to keep mentioning my story, but maybe it's for someone here and you're here and you, you, you don't follow Jesus yet. You're the first time in church, I don't know, but I was 16 when I became a Christian and, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll always remember the day I gave my life to Jesus. It was an incredible day. And, uh, but, you know, I was, never, I was never looking for a relationship with God. Some people say that, um, you know, church and faith and religion, it, it's, a, it's a crutch for the weak. You know, it wasn't like that for me. I, I had a good life, you know. I was at uh, college. I was studying to be a lawyer. I had friends. I had family. I, I was doing fine in life, uh, and I would later read a scripture in John 10.10 10, that says that Jesus comes to give life and life to the full. I realized in that moment that I had life, but I didn't have life to the full. You know you can be alive, but still not have life. You know you can be breathing, yet not fully alive. Uh, and if we were, C.S. Lewis says it so powerfully, if, if nothing in this world satisfies the desires we have, come on, we're made for another world. Can I encourage you to lift your head up out of Eden that's just all about choice, you being able to choose what you can have, you being able to do what you want to do, and step into the Garden of Gethsemane that is laden with purpose, that's all about the change that your life can make. Thank you, I appreciate that. Number three, Eden is all about excuses, Gethsemane responsibility. Eden excuses, Gethsemane responsibility. We see in this moment, the scripture we read earlier, you, you'll remember uh, God came to Adam and Eve, uh, firstly Adam, because he comes to the man first to be responsible for, um, for the family. And he comes to Adam and he says, uh, Adam, what's going on? Why are you afraid? What's going on? Where are you? And Adam says, I'm afraid uh, because uh, I'm, I'm naked. I'm afraid um, because you are here. And, and God says, what's going on? I'm trying to find out what's happened in this scenario and says to him, did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? 
eat. And Adam immediately says, it was the woman that you gave me. Anybody here? There you go. Anybody ever been there? You know, someone comes to you at work and someone's, you know, like left the copier on all night or left like the tap flowing all night and it's flooded the place and someone comes to you and you're immediately like, um, uh, it was that person, you know, trying to find someone to blame it on. This is like Adam in that moment. Uh, woman, uh, you. And he's trying to find an excuse. And so God says, all right, okay, let's go to the woman. Woman, what happened? And she says, well, it was serpent. She's blaming it on the serpent for tempting him. And and everyone is trying to shift blame from themselves, trying to find an excuse. Let me say to you this morning, you know, you might have had some tragic things happen to you. You might have been hurt. You might have been abused. You might have gone through some incredibly challenging times in your life. Can I promise you, no one would ever want to belittle what you've gone through. Uh, there are people here that would love to stand with you, pray with you, join uh, on the journey with you and support you in every step of the way. But can I also, also encourage you this, that the only person that can allow those things to uh, stop you living the life that God has called you to is you. It's us. We can't control the things that happen to us, but we can always control the response we give. And I know that's a hard word to hear. I know there'll be some people that don't want to hear that. But the reality of the matter is that the only thing we can control in life is our response. I'll always be uh, so impacted by a story of a lady who was attacked, uh, attacked in Central Park in New York. She was attacked and left for dead um, some years ago and the attacker fled the scene and she was left there in the middle of the park. Eventually she managed to crawl her way out to the street uh, hoping to flag someone down to take her to hospital. Uh, and the tragedy of the story is that the car she flagged down, the car that pulled up had the man inside that attacked her. So he dragged her back in the park, you know, fearing being caught and tried to finish the job off and left her for dead again. Miraculously, she survived and she was taken to hospital some time later. She was interviewed by a member of the police and after some time of the interview, the police officer stopped and said, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I just had to stop because what you've been through is so horrific. Yet when I'm asking you these questions, there's somehow such courage and positivity in your spirit. Uh, how is that? And the lady who'd been attacked responded by saying that that man has robbed one night of my life he'll never rob another moment of it yeah. and I remember being man so impacted by that story that someone who's been through something so horrific could be so clear-minded and say you know what I could make every excuse under the sun legitimately and people wouldn't blame me people wouldn't have a go at me people would say that's justified for you to have that excuse but you know what I'm not going to be a person that makes excuses I'm going to take responsibility for my response to the situation and know that God has a better future for me I want to promise you that God has an amazing future for you that though you may have been through some challenging times. Let's be a people that take responsibility over our response and say, God, I'm just going to worship you. I'm going to honor you and I'm going to trust you. Adam and Eve, they tried to shift responsibility in the Garden of Eden. Jesus steps up in Garden of Gethsemane and says, you know what? I'm going to stand in the gap for a generation. Anybody else here this morning that wants to stand in the gap for a generation? I want to live in Gethsemane and not in Eden. And the final thing is this, if the band can come back up, that'd be amazing. The fourth truth of these two gardens, the, the comparisons of these two gardens, the tale of two gardens is this. In Eden, the pursuit was happiness. In Gethsemane, the pursuit was joy. Uh, Eden was about happiness. Adam and Eve, they thought if they ate from the tree that gave the knowledge of good and evil, that they would be happy because they would have experienced everything. So many people in our world just want to experience as much as they can, thinking it's going to make them happy. Uh, but many eventually find, all eventually find, that at the end of that road, there's just more and more unfulfillment. Yeah. 
Uh, whereas Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, his pursuit wasn't happiness, his pursuit was joy. Uh, let me tell you the difference between them. Uh, the book of Philippi- Phil- Philippians, jet lag, I'll, speak, I'll get there in a minute. Uh, the book of Philippians, um, it, is, it talks about four chapters, 16 times it references joy and rejoicing. In four short chapters, Paul, the writer, he talks about, you know, he says famous scriptures like rejoice and again I say rejoice. He talks about having joy at all times, joy through every season. It's amazing uh, he talks about this thing, joy, so much. Yet when he writes the book, Philippians, Philippians, is that how you even say it? Man, so much jet lag right now. Philippians, 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 Philippians. When Paul writes this book, it's just a book, we won't worry about the name. He writes the book, 16 times he mentions joy, but yet where he writes it is from his prison cell from his prison cell, yet his perspective is still joy. You know why that is? It's because happiness is the fruit of our circumstances. If all my ducks are in a line, if everything lines up, you know, if my salary gets to where I want it to be, if my kids are behaving, if my car is working, if I get to build the pool I want in the back garden, if I get to, you know, the opportunities at church, if my church loves me, if my kids are happy, la, 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 if everything's in a line, then and only then can I be happy. Can I give you some bad news this morning? You will never, ever be truly happy if that is your approach to life because all your ducks will never, ever get in a line. But what Jesus teaches us from His model, from His experience in Gethsemane, is it's not about a pursuit of happiness, but it's a pursuit of joy. Where where happiness is the fruit of circumstances, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And God's Spirit, He says He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will always be with you. And we know that the that joy is not an absence of problems in, li- in our lives, but it's the presence of Jesus. That's how Paul could be in prison and say rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. That's how you can get made redundant and say rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. That's how your car can break down. And you may kick the tire a few times, but you can still say rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Because our joy is not based on our circumstances, but by the fact we have a loving God who laid down His life that we could have true freedom. Jesus laid down His life that we might have true freedom in our lives. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And it's so good to know that Jesus, the Bible says that He endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him. And that joy was a relationship with you and I. And I'd really love to finish by praying for some people here today in these few moments that we have left together. Uh, These gardens, the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Eden representing that natural living, that it's about what I can have, it's about what I can get, it's about what feels good, what looks good, what tastes good. I want to encourage you that in this garden there is a lack of fulfillment. In this garden, there is a lack of fulfilled destiny. Whereas in the garden of Gethsemane, when we make the choice to step up, and let me say, it's not easy. Uh, I'm not going to say, I'm, you know, I'm not going to come out here and say that living for Jesus is easy. It's not. But honestly, it will bring you the most fulfillment you have ever experienced in your life. And as we step into this garden of Gethsemane, that is about what I can change, that is about discipline, that is about following Jesus with all of my heart, I know that our lives are going to be changed. But more importantly, generations that come after us will be transformed. So I'd love to pray for some people uh, this morning, if the, the band can come. Why don't we stand to our feet right now? And uh, I'd like to pray for two sets of people. 
I think there's some people in here this morning, um, uh, some people here, and you say, you know what, all I've ever known is the Garden of Eden. Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe you've never been to church. Maybe someone's dragged you along and just promised you like free coffee and a concert, and here you are listening to some pommy guy. Uh, you know, maybe you've never never left the Garden of Eden. You've never known anything other than living in something that the pursuit is just making you happy. The pursuit is just whatever feels good, whatever looks good, I'm just going to do that. I would love to pray for you and introduce you to our Saviour Jesus who died on the cross and He rose again to life, not because you were a good person, but because He loved you. He didn't offer you His forgiveness just because you did some things right, but because He loves you for who you are. I would love to pray for you. And then the second um, type of person I'd love to pray for is for people that have at once, at one time in their lives, you've experienced Gethsemane. You, you've been living on fire for Jesus. You've, you've known what it is to live purpose. You've been able to sacrifice for Jesus, but I don't know what it is that something's happened in your life, whether it's the small, the slow, the discreet kind of dragging of the world pulled you back to what's comfortable and convenient. Or maybe for some people, there's been some hurt and some pain or some tragedy that's taken you out from all that God has called you to do. And you found yourself living in a place of comfort, of, of just whatever's easy, just trying to get by. Can I promise you there's more than just getting by? Jesus has a, a life for you that is uh, so much better than that. He wants to see you on fire for Him, changing the world. So for the first group of people, if you're here today and you say, Ben, I, I've not been to church before, or I've been coming a while and I've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Can I tell you this? At 16 years old, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm 31 now, 15 years on, almost half my life I've been living for Jesus. And in a world full of regrets, not one day have I ever regretted that decision. There's a community here that will get behind you, that will help you. You may not understand everything. You may have understood 5% of what I've said today. If you felt the presence of God in this place, if you feel like God is doing something in your life right now, I'd love to pray with you. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna, if everyone in this place could bow our heads and close our eyes. If, if today you would say, that's me, you know, just as we've got this moment of privacy, you'll say, Ben, that's me. I, I want you to pray for me this morning. I want you to pray for me, introduce me to Jesus so that I can live the best life that He has for me. If that's you this morning, I'd love for you, for you to raise your hand right now. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing around you. Don't worry about the next person next to you or anything like that. Thank you so much at the back there. Amazing, amazing. Well, that's the first one. That's the hardest one breakthrough in this place right now. Some people here and you've never experienced life with Jesus and this is your moment. I remember the night I gave my life to Jesus, my palms got all sweaty, my heart was beating faster. I didn't know what was going on until someone sat next to me and said, can you feel the presence of God? She said, is your heart beating faster? Your palms getting a bit clammy? And I said, like, how do you know? And she's like, God's trying to speak to you. God's moving on your heart. Come on, is there anybody else here that wants to be included in this prayer this morning? As I look around for one last time. Come on, let's, oh, awesome, awesome in the middle of there. Thank you so much. Thank you. God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. Come on, let's, let's pray this together. Repeat this prayer after me. Don't pray back to me because I, I can't do much for you, but pray it to your Father in heaven because He wants to uh, just impact your life in such a significant way in this moment. And church, let's all pray it together to support them. Hey, uh, Father God, thank you so much for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for me. Please forgive me of all I've done wrong. Please give me strength to live a new life, following you all the days of my life. Give me peace in my heart and strength for my tomorrow. Thank you, Jesus. 
Amen. Come on, let's give it up for those incredible people making that decision. Amazing, amazing. Pastor Sam will give you some instructions about how to uh, follow up on that in a minute because, you know, um, don't do life alone, right? Don't just keep that decision to yourself. There's people here that want to support you. Just real quickly, I know I'm probably a couple minutes over, but just real quickly, I would love to finish by praying for anybody here this morning. You would say, you know what, there's, in my life at some point, there's been a, a time when I've been on fire for God and I just don't feel like I'm at 100% right now. I, I want to be, I want to live in the mentality of Gethsemane, but sometimes I just feel Eden calling me back. The, the comfort, the convenience, the ease of life. I, I want to I wanna step back into the uncomfortable. I want to be stretched. I want to do all that God's called me to do. Come on again, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you have a moment with God. Say, is this me? God, am I living at 100% right now? Could I be going further for you right now? And if that is you, I want to pray for you right now. Uh, And I would ask, would you lift your hands to heaven in this moment? As we go back into worship, we're going to pray. Come on, hands going up all over this place. If that's you in this moment, lift your hands to heaven. He wants to touch you right now with His presence. He wants to move in your heart. He wants to restore uh, 100%. He wants to bring you back to an effervescent life with Him, bubbling over more than you could ever imagine. Father God, I thank you for every single person. God, I thank you that you would just do something great in every single life. Father God, I thank you that in this moment, it would be significant, a significant time of your presence touching every person. That Father God, in in years to come, they would look back to this moment and remember that was when God, you relit the fire in my heart. That God, we would make a decision today. I'm not gonna live within the mindset of Eden. I'm gonna live in the mindset of Gethsemane. That Father, you would touch, you would impact, that you would move upon every single person, God, in a significant way. God, let us never be the same again. Let us walk out the doors different. Father God, let our world be different because we walk out different. Father God, have your way in all of our hearts, we pray. Come on, let's worship to finish. Let's give it up to our King. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's worship.